in the cocoon, it has to nearly suffocate and still wiggle under pressure for it to develop the muscles so that once it breaks through, that the exact muscle required for the caterpillar to develop in the cocoon to break through is the exact precise amount. You can Google this. It's the exact precise amount that's required to support the wings for the butterfly to fly. And some caterpillars suffocate in the cocoon, never get out and die. And most people stop wiggling. Most people in the cocoon, they stop because, oh my God, it's so tight. It's not, it's not going to end. And you know, they're a butterfly and they're a butterfly. And social media is all butterflies. So we're seeing everybody's beautiful wings. You know, they don't show you them in the cocoon. And so when you're in the cocoon, you're like, dang, I'm not a butterfly. Maybe I'm not good, but just keep wiggling. When it pop, you will be ready when you're ready. Are you ready to decide it's your turn to live your most purposeful, profitable, passionate life? I'm Christina LeCure, former professional golfer turned confidence and success coach. I truly believe every one of us was put here for a God-given purpose, and it is our responsibility to live that fully. For well over a decade now, I've been turning my life as well as countless others around from feeling unworthy, incompetent, and without a purpose to living a life I cannot wait to wake up for even on days when shit hits the fan. And it all started with a decision. Yeah, you heard that right. I said God and shit in the same sentence. So clearly this won't be your typical podcast, but what I can assure you is that each week, myself and my guests are going to enlighten you, fire you up and having you walk away with stories and strategies to not only boost your confidence, but give you hope that at any moment in time, you have the power to decide it's your turn. Y'all, welcome back to the Decide It's Your Turn podcast. I'm so unbelievably stoked for today's guest. It was an amazing conversation today with Omar Elatar. He is the creator and host of the Passionate View podcast and YouTube series. He's an avid student of personal development and a world-class leader, and he is on a mission to humanize greatness one story at a time. He has interviewed some of the most incredible human beings on the planet. He has had over a million downloads on his podcast, The Passionate Few, and he is truly just so good at what he does. We talked about all the decisions that he's made in his life one decision at a time that has impacted his life and got him to a place where he truly believes, very similar to myself, that he lives a life that is better than anyone else's. And he doesn't say that in, you know, a gloating aspect. He just truly is so passionate about what he gets to do. So you guys sit back, relax, and get excited for today's interview with Omar Elatar. Welcome back to the Decide It's Your Turn podcast, you guys. I am so stoked to have our guest today, Omar Elatar. He is the podcast badass guru. And he spoke in our women with class mastermind last year. And I knew in that moment, I needed to have him on this podcast. And uh, before I introduce him, I just want to tell you guys, I initially found Omar actually through my husband. I don't even know if he knows this, but I found him through my husband because my husband is a big Grant Cardone fan. And I'm a huge Ed Milet fan, Tony Robbins fan. And my husband was listening to a podcast with Grant Cardone. And he's like, you got to listen to this podcast. It's so good. And I was like, okay, let's bring it on. And when we listened to that podcast, I was like, holy shit, I love this dude. I love what he's about. I totally researched you. So thank you so much for coming on today. I love it. Absolutely. I'm honored to be on and I'm so glad that you enjoyed the show. And yeah, connecting Ed and Grant was one of the most uh, surreal things I've ever done. It was a lot of uh, effort and planning and strategic communication. 
you know, it's two macho ego, amazing dudes, um, kind of had, had a nice, healthy, uh, discourse about life success and all that so i'm glad that so many people enjoyed it including yourself and i'm honored that you guys enjoyed the show and i'm happy to be on your platform now yeah absolutely and now obviously i've listened to so many you know going forward from that one of my favorites actually was when you interviewed uh javier uh from Javier's restaurant. It started yeah. out a little slow, but I promise you one of one of the things that I just loved about you when you came into the Women with Class Mastermind is you just truly gave so many amazing takeaways. And that's what this podcast is really about is giving people something that they can decide it's their turn, obviously, but then also some takeaways to make some fast action. And in that podcast in particular, I just loved so many of the takeaways that he gave in how he created such success over such a long period of time. And a couple of the things that you said in our mastermind that I'll, you know, I'll never forget is talking about basically where you came from and how you pretty much manifested your whole entire life. And it started with a decision, honestly. And I love, you know, your and my um, beginnings in what we do now are very similar, different, but very similar. And it all started with some decisions. So I'd love you to tell everyone kind of how you started out being Omar, the, you know, the rock star podcaster and how you kind of got to where you are now. Yeah, you know, so and, and first of all, I want to uh, first acknowledge you and honor you for, for calling the show something that relates to decisions. Uh, I think that is so spot on. You know, my show is called The Passionate Few because the premise of it was there's a few people who are so passionate about what they're doing that they sort of poke it into reality. You know, they just sort of had no clue how to do it, whether it's Javier, who, you know, was living on a mattress with his wife and lost everything in his 40s and then would go on. You know, a lot of people if they haven't quote unquote made their first million bucks by whatever age, you know, they have games in their head. Oh, I'm getting too old. I'm not. Da, da, da. And to think that he went from that to building a huge restaurant, you know, it, that came from him making a decision, you know, and, and if you trace back every successful person that I've ever interviewed, you know, from people who've gone from rags to riches or whatever it is, it doesn't have to just be money. I mean, there's sports athletes, whatever thought leaders, it all starts with a decision. You know, a lot of people grow up with the same backgrounds and it's those decisions where the trajectory changes. You know, Tony Robbins talks about it, decisions shape our destiny. So, so thank you for the compliments on the show. But, you know, I honestly want to acknowledge you for naming it that because deciding it's your turn, deciding now is the time for action is literally the definition. You know, deciding to invest yourself, deciding to take action, deciding what things mean, no matter what's going on in the environment around you or how stressful it may be. That's what a true leader does. And that's the common denominator if you trace back everybody that's the difference. You know, everyone goes through the same BS. The difference is how they decide to respond to it. So that's a long winded way of saying, I love what you're doing and I'm happy to support it here. Well, thank um, you so much. I appreciate that. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And in terms of how I started, you know, it was, um, it's really interesting because, you know, I started out with, you know, not necessarily the experience that one would think that you would need to start a podcast or start a show. Um, I originally was, I found myself 24 years old, of course, like everybody in social media today, no matter how old you are, you always feel like you're too old. Uh, and, uh, I found myself, I had graduated college and I had friends who were starting to make money. Some were starting to make six figures. And here I was not fulfilled in college, um, not fulfilled with what I was doing in my career. And I was just kind of trying to figure out how to quote unquote, make it, you know, my whole life growing up, I wanted to be somebody, you know, I wanted to to matter. And not from a place of ego or fame or fortune per se, but from a place of I wanted to be a master at something, you know, whether it was, you know, soccer when I was a kid or skateboarding, or I wanted to be a professional, 
you know, I, and I'm sure you can relate as, you know, somebody who played golf at a high level, it's like you have a craft and you want to take it all the way and protect it and honor it. And so I always thought like that. And um, I think I was trying to find my thing, you know, and I would do things and they would fizzle out. I would do things and they would fizzle out. And uh, finally, you know, when I was 24 years old, I found myself in a place where, you know, I felt like I was in dead ends because I had tried everything. You know, I was working sales jobs. I was working at Tesla, a great company. Super cool to be a part of the culture. Before that, I had done door-to-door and solar. So I was kind of in the clean energy sales niche. And I, I loved it, but I knew there was more. And uh, long story short, I found myself in a place where I was 24 years old, totally unfulfilled. I was making money. I was the number one sales rep at Tesla, but I was outspending my earnings because I was so unfulfilled. So I was trying to numb it, you know, with alcohol. I was trying to numb it with weed. I was trying to numb it with just food and, you know, activities or just, you know, just, just, you know, buying stuff I didn't need. And, you know, there was just this hole I was trying to fill and I couldn't quite fill it in an honest way, in an authentic way. So I was down to my last 300 bucks and believe it or not, I just one day reached out to somebody I know and he connects me with a life coach. Life coach charged 250 an hour. I had about 300 bucks to my name. I'm in my mid twenties. My parents think I'm nuts for quitting my job at Tesla. And literally with that little money connected with the life coach, uh, shout out to Dave Thorpe. Dave changed my life in that first session, you know? And that was really the first time I had ever invested and so interesting was it that when I had the least, I, I invested the most. Very interesting. Um, and, and again, that was a decision because I realized like clearly I don't have this under control, right? Like clearly on my own devices, you know, things are not clicking. Um, and you have to understand, I have all these years of references of having dreams and, and telling my friends in high school, I'm going to make it, I want to be a somebody. And now I'm kind of like hiding, like I kind of, I didn't even have a social media, like, I, you know, I was... I was like, man, you know, I don't want people to call my bluff and I wanted to do something meaningful. So all that pressure combined when I connected with that coach and we sat down one day and he said, Omar, you know, if life was perfect, what would happen next? And you have to understand that that was the first time in my life that I really was given permission to dream. And, you know, so many of us in life, subconsciously, we inherit this, um, this kind of belief that life can't be amazing. It can't be fully perfect. That like, ah, something's got to give, you know, you know, maybe you can get somebody close to a significant other that you want, or maybe a career close to what you want or an income close to what you want. But, you know, we kind of subconsciously assume we can't have exactly how we want. We can't have the, oh my God, I can't believe this is my real life. And for the first time in my life, an adult uh, with experience, you know, who had success in his life and his businesses sold some companies. So he was coming, you know, he wasn't a fly by night coach. I mean, this is a guy who, who's done it. For him to say, you know, Omar, clean slate, clean paper, forget about the past. If life was perfect, what would happen next? It was like, just blew my mind. And, you know, also at the time, my, my ex-girlfriend had broken up with me. So she was like the last bit of hope and that was gone. So it was literally, I was like at the end of my, like rock bottom, at the end of my rope, I felt. And so when he said that, I said, you know, I don't know, you know, if life was perfect, I don't know what I would do. And he said, well, if you did know, what would you do? Right. Tony Robbins line, right? Yeah. Well, if you did know, what would you do? I, and, he, and I said, you know, well, maybe this, maybe that, maybe this. So he said, okay, I'll tell you what, Omar, I'm not going to have you make an entree, but you're the chef of your life. Let's just write down the ingredients you have in your inventory. What are the, let's isolate it, right? Instead of getting overwhelmed 
with what's my passion, what's my purpose, what I want to do in business, right? Instead of all that, let's just keep it simple. And on a fundamental level, what are the ingredients you know to be true that are going to be true a year from now, five years, 10 years from now? What's true five years from now? I said, okay, well, I love communicating with amazing people. I love watching inspiring uh, stuff. I would like to inspire millions of people. I would like to make millions of dollars. I would like uh, my main skill set and tool to be my ability to communicate and listen. I would love to in person meet Tony Robbins. I would love to in person meet Grant Cardone, right? Jordan Belfort of Wall Street, right? I had all these business icons and, and authors and all this. And so we just started writing it down and so interesting. And I tell a lot of my clients this and people this in general, you know, it's like sometimes I think, you know, most people don't place orders to the universe or life, but then there's another group that do place orders, but they only have some of the ingredients necessary to make it. So even if they make that entree, it's missing some oregano or some salt or some flour or some, right? And they don't have it, but they want that entree, but they don't have the ingredients currently. Now they can go get it or they can develop the ingredients per se. And you see the parallel here between, you know, the entree of your life and the entree of actual food. Uh, but what that did is it allowed me to kind of take off the pressure of having to know the answer as opposed to going to the kitchen, laying the ingredients on the table and going, oh, I could make this with those ingredients or I could do this with those ingredients. And so, you know, now it might sound obvious that all those ingredients would lead to a podcast and a show and, you know, online stuff. But at the time, it was so foreign to me. You know, when I was loaded with insecurities, you know, like, well, how could I connect that? Would that be weird to put it on YouTube? How am I going to afford it? I have no video experience. I have no editing experience. Would it be a YouTube show? Would it be a podcast? And you have to understand this is like five years ago. It wasn't now like where like everybody has a podcast or is launching it or, you know, I think a lot of people saw it from afar and little by little saw somebody they know doing it and then somebody else they know doing it and go, oh, I could do it. You know, at the time I had no references like that. So yeah, so me and Dave put, we concocted this list of all these ingredients and he goes, Omar, it looks to me like you got to produce an interview show. (laughs) <laughs> and I said, I said, yeah, you're right, Dave, like, you know, or, or maybe get a job in radio, right? Maybe apply to radio. So when we went online and looked at job qualifications for radio and I realized they want people with experience, right? Catch 22. It's like, you need experience to get on, but how do you gain the experience without having a platform? And he goes, Omar, you might need to take destiny into your own hands. What about YouTube? And I was like, oh shit, I couldn't do it on YouTube. And I was like, well, I don't know how to do it. I don't afford it. Da, da, da. I said, how would I do that? And he goes, I don't know. If you had to guess, what would you guess? Like, what are the ingredients, right? So like, he taught me to look at success as like an ingredients thing instead of some faraway thing. You know, what, what's the recipe? Well, the recipe would be three things, right? Find a person to agree to an interview, find a person to record it, and find somebody to edit and upload it. And that's it. And it removed the veil of all these complexities and emotional burdens and right these things that we weigh ourselves down with. So I said, okay. And he was like, what day do you want to launch? And I remember we were like, I was like, I don't know. He was like, well, pick a day. I said, September 16th. He said, okay, what time? I said, 1 p.m. So he said, okay. So September 16th, 1 p.m. He goes, okay, what's our next step? I said, I got to confirm a guess. I said, but I don't have people to film it or edit it or da 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 He goes, well, if you commit to it with him, are you confident in yourself that the pressure will help you figure it out? And I was like, yeah. And so right then and there, you know, I scheduled my first interview, reached out to somebody on the spot. Within two weeks, I had found the videographer and the editor and recorded the first one and it was up. And from there, the floodgates were open. And I was just like, whoa, I completed one. I got to one finish line and was like, holy shit, 
I just manifested from being in the lowest place ever to doing the coolest thing ever. And from that point, it was on. It was a drug. It was like that little, you know, like a shark's like that blood and water. And I got that first feeling, that first euphoria of doing it. And then I put it out and, and, you know, not a lot of people listen to it, but when you're starting anything for people listening to it is like amazing. You're like, Oh, oh my God. Oh my you God. Know? Amazing. <laughs> yeah. I, I trip out that millions of people listen to it now, but at that time I was blown away that anybody did, but that was that first taste. And from there it was on. Oh my God. This is, <laughs> this is so good so far. You guys, I know if you literally have not grabbed a pen and a paper and like started writing down your ingredients right freaking now, you are crazy. Like pause it, go back, hit the like 15 second back, back, back and rewatch this you guys, because I promise you exactly what Omar is talking about is what I have had to deal with so many of my clients have had to deal with what Omar's clients have had to deal with how many of you out there are thinking, well, I just don't know where to start. And I don't know how it'll turn into something. You know, I've told the story a thousand times about how I tell people all the time, you may not know how it turns into a business. Shoot. Five, six years ago, when I first started this, there is no chance in hell I would be able to know all of the things that I'm doing now, but it just took one action step. And something that I think that you said is so important is you put a date on it. And by finding that one person, that's your accountability. I believe accountability is so huge. You may not have been accountable to your coach in that moment, but you were accountable to the very first person who scheduled an interview with you. And you knew you were going to show up because you knew that that was actually going to be the thing that set you apart, that started this roller coaster or this, you know, high speed train that we're hoping that you were going to go on. And like fast forward five years now, all the things that you're able to do. I mean, before we hit record, you're telling me you've got like seven employees now in five years. I mean, no one, when they start, have any idea how it's going to finish, but God, just the starting, just deciding it was your turn. I have a question for you. Yeah. Do you believe that every single person has to have a rock bottom because I feel like so many people get to like their rock bottom moment. I know for me, it was kind of like my rock bottom. You are talking about your rock bottom. Do you feel like having a rock bottom is kind of like the place where a lot of people take off? You know, that's a beautiful question. I'm so glad you asked that. In my meditation a couple of months ago, I had a thought that has never left me and I can't wait to do videos about this. I don't think it's necessary, but I do think it triggers what's necessary. And here's what I mean by that. I think that if you look at not just the most successful people in the world, but really the most fulfilled, you know, because I, I don't want the message of like money and the reference of all these billionaires I interviewed to be the only metric. I don't care if it's a sport, a craft, a hobby, an art, a, a, a vocation, whatever it is. I think that masters are really authentically honest with themselves about their love for the game or the business or the craft. So I think it's honesty. And I think interestingly enough, and, and this is so interesting, uh, and I really thought about this in the meditation is that most of us never get honest until we're in a rock bottom place. Mm -hmm. We never get honest about what we want in a relationship until we go through a really bad one, right? <laughs> we never go, we never figure out, you know, what we, how we really want to make money until maybe we've made money doing something we're not totally fulfilled by. We usually don't prioritize our health until major sickness occurs because then when we're sick we're making deals with god oh my god i really need to take control or maybe you gain weight and then you get honest with yourself so i don't necessarily think rock bottoms are important but i think that they trigger honest conversations with yourself because think about it most of the time you know say say you get a big check that's probably a time you're filling your head with fantasies and not in a bad way but you're ambitious and you're like, oh i did that what else could i do you know so in a in a 
in a non-harmful way, you kind of start to inflate your ego, not from a bad place, but just inflate your, your natural ego wanting to do more. How much more can I make? How many more people can I help, right? And so you're in that sort of aspirational perspective when things are going well. But if you if you look at companies and if you reverse engineer people who are successful or, you know, authors, uh, JK Rowling, right, whatever it is, like there was tons of failures before and those failures force you to go into a corner where you have nothing else but your mind to have that conversation with. So I think when you have nothing, you start to get really honest really quick. You know, for example, I had a surgery about, um, God, was it two months ago? I, you know, we got this beautiful place in Laguna Beach. I had my whole team there. We did an interview. We had some clients. It was amazing. And I went from being oceanfront and $1,700 a night place to uh, the very next day, having a near appendix rupture, got rushed to the hospital, had to have emergency surgery. And the surgeons like rushed in, everybody's like freaking out. And I'm like, Oh, my God, what happened? I was fine a day ago. And now just like that, you know, they're telling me that it could be like threatening, and it's like intense. And if we wait multiple hours, you know, it could be, you know, could be the end for me, you know, so I got rushed into emergency surgery out of nowhere, I was in the most severe pain of my life. And they numbed me up, put me on all these drugs, and I went under. And literally, it was like that. I literally went from, you know, the top of feeling great and, you know, things are going amazing to just like that, you know, things are down. And of course, what happens? You know, I'm in the hospital and I'm starting to be like, man, like what really matters? And so I'm starting thinking about my health. Boom. So when I got out of it, I start drinking celery juice. I start being more mindful of my health, right? I start being way more cautious about my body and my diet and my mindset. And then when I was sitting there, I was also like, man, have I done enough for others? Like, yeah, the show is amazing. Don't get me wrong. And I'll do it for many years to come. And business is going phenomenal. But have I helped enough people? And so right in and there, right when I got out, I reached out to Feeding America and partnered with them. And me and my companies are doing a million meal pledge. And so anybody who wants to get involved, we're feeding a million people through Feeding America. And, you know, 100% of that goes to Feeding America to help men, women and children in need, especially during COVID, over 50 million people. But if it wasn't for that situation, that health situation being so intense, where I had nothing, you know, my phone died. So I was in the, I was in the hospital after surgery for three or four hours, just thinking. There was no business, there was no podcast, there was no assistant, there was no team. There's no, it was just me and my thoughts. And so it, so I think that it's, it's more about being honest with yourself. And, you know, I think meditation could kind of do that. But if you think about it, people don't get really honest with themselves until things get really harsh. And so I think that's more of the prerequisite than anything. And if you don't, you know, Tony, Tony has this cool thing where he says that if you don't uh, learn a lesson, life has a way of teaching you a lesson, <laughs> you know? Um, so I think that that's more of, the thing is that people, you you can you can live a lot of your life not the best, uh, just kind of coasting with you know somewhere between not happy but not unhappy enough to do something about it until something happens and you're like oh shit like I'm in jail or I'm broke or I go through a breakup or I go through it and then you got to get really honest real fast. There's no more time, no more BS. You can't you don't have money to buy your way out of thinking different things, right? Like. So I think that's what it is. I think it's about being honest in here. And unfortunately, and myself included, sometimes the only time we really get honest with ourselves is when we're in low lows, which ends up being a blessing, perhaps. So. Oh, my gosh. I, I love that. That's so good. I've never really actually thought about it that way. You, you know, yeah. like I always think about I, I use this slogan all the time. My husband and I have this slogan that we do hard things. Hard things is what we do. And I feel like the 
vast majority of the world and correct me if I'm wrong or what your opinion is on it. But I feel like the vast majority of the world avoids doing hard things. Like how can we stay as safe as possible and how can we avoid like putting ourselves out there and deciding it's our turn and like all of the things that you're talking about. And even for the, some people who do go through the really hard times, like you're talking about and, and go to jail and make bad decisions and go broke and all the things, what do you think sets certain people apart that are like, Oh no, I'm going to do this fucking thing. Just watch me. Absolutely. The emotional association to the vision in the future. And I'm convinced uh, that that it's that beyond a shadow of a doubt, especially that I've seen it in my own life. And also that, you know, I, you know, at this stage, I've, I've had a unique uh, perspective because a lot of the authors and stuff that I used to look up to, I know now, <laughs> you know, I can, I can talk to them. I can text them. I've spent days with them. I've been on the private jets. I've been in their house. I've heard their insecurities. I've heard their story from from them themselves, you know, not through a romantic lens of just YouTube, but I've I've seen it over and over and over with the hundreds of people that I've gotten to connect with and interview and all that. And, and, you know, I've done it in person and there's a certain level of energy in person that you pick up that sometimes doesn't translate in other mediums. But I would say that it's that, you know, that it's, it's twofold, right? It's, you know, I heard this thing with Jeff Bezos, right? Wealthiest man in the world, where he says the difference between successful people is their perspective of time horizons, right? If you think about people who make a lot of money, right? Like, they think globally, they think decades, right? They think a lifetime, they think, you know, and again, I'm, I'll use the reference of the example to make the point here with money, but you can, you know, plug in whatever variable you want for whoever's listening uh, at home uh, or wherever you're listening to this. But basically like, you know, Jeff Bezos, a lot of people don't know this, was the brokest person in the world at one point. He was in debt billions of dollars, way more than anyone for 11 years, right? Give or take. And now he's the wealthiest man in the world. So without him risking being the most in-debt person in the world, he wouldn't have been the wealthiest. But on paper, somebody working at Burger King making minimum wage was technically on paper wealthier than Jeff Bezos. He was in debt billions and billions and billions of dollars. That's hard. People see him now with Amazon thinking like, oh, yeah, it was a great idea. You don't know the shit he ate for, for a decade plus. Imagine investors. I mean, I don't know if the numbers are correct, but I heard that at one point Amazon was in debt $30 billion. Mm-hmm. He was the most in debt. He was the most in debt person on the planet. So like the pendulum swings both ways and people just want the up pendulum. They don't want the, the down thing. They just want the up. But see, had he not risking the literally the brokest, most in debt person in the world, he wouldn't have become who he is. So you have the pendulum has to swing both ways. You know, it's like in relationships, people want all the love and they don't want none of the friction. They don't want to solve any of the problems. They just want the kisses and the love and the you know, and the, you know, romance and all that, but they, but they don't want to solve problems. They don't want to build together. They don't want to be a team. They don't want to resolve conflicts. And so that infatuation is one-sided. And so I think that that's what it is. Most people just, they want half of it. They don't want the whole thing, but they don't realize that the juice is in the squeeze, right? Absolutely. There's no orange juice without the squeeze. They want orange juice, but they don't want to squeeze the orange and they are the orange. So I think that that, that is the case, but, you know, as it relates to time horizons, you know, you know, billionaires think globally, they think in terms of a lifetime, multiple decades, right? People who make hundreds of millions of dollars are thinking, you know, a decade plus two decades, three decades, people who make a couple million bucks, think a couple years into the future, people who make six figures, probably think a year at a time, people who, you know, maybe make, um, you know, six figures or a little bit under that are thinking about their monthly salary, right? A good monthly salary. 
people who make, you know, thousands of dollars or hundreds of dollars think in terms of wage, how much I get paid per hour, right? So the units of time that we think, I think is what affects most people because, you know, the, the people that make the least money make it by the hour, right? The people that make the most money make it by putting in, you know, effort into an industry over a sustained period of time with no guarantee of ROI, you know? And so I think that, I think that manifests into dreams, into goals, into ambitions. It's like a lot of people are not willing to go $30 billion in debt in their craft or in their business or whatever the parallel is to get to the other side. And, you know, the second they get, you know, $10,000 in debt. And again, I'm, it's an extreme example re referencing Jeff Bezos. The parallel here is investing $200 in yourself or $2,000 in yourself or reading a book or, or committing to a craft for X amount of days in a row or being willing to fail at your business for, you know, a year straight until you hit it. You know, it's uh, like that one-sidedness, I think, misses the point. And I'll, I'll make one more quick reference. I know I get long-winded. I'm so passionate. No, I love it. I'm, I'm exactly the same. Please. <laughs> it's, it's killing me to stay quiet, but I love it. <laughs> There's an analogy with the cocoon and the butterfly, right? Where, you know, when you see a caterpillar, when a caterpillar goes into cocoon, right? The process of a caterpillar turning into a butterfly is called metamorphosis, right? And so most people, for the sake of, you know, the analogy here, are caterpillars before they go into the cocoons and try to make their dreams happen. What's interesting, though, and if you look at this scientifically, is that when a caterpillar goes into cocoon, it actually is nearly suffocating in that tight space in the cocoon. But the process of the caterpillar, you know, if you look at it, what caterpillars are doing inside of the cocoon before they break out as butterflies is they're actually wiggling. And as they're in the cocoon, right, and the, look at the parallel here between us and our dreams and the pressure of the cocoons of our businesses and lives or whatever it is, the process of the caterpillar wiggling, did you know this, Christina, this, is, this blew my mind, that the exact muscle required for caterpillar's um, wings to support it to fly, the exact amount is the amount of muscle that's cultivated in the process of it wiggling to break out of the cocoon, wow. meaning in the cocoon, it has to nearly suffocate and still wiggle under pressure for it to develop the muscles so that once it breaks through that the exact muscle required for the caterpillar to develop in the cocoon to break through is the exact precise amount. You can Google this. It's the exact precise amount. It's the exact precise amount that's required to support the wings for the butterfly to fly. And some caterpillars suffocate in the cocoon, never get out and die. And most people stop wiggling. Most people in the cocoon, they, they stop because, oh, my God, it's so tight. It's not it's not going to end. And, you know, they're a butterfly and they're a butterfly. And social media is all butterflies. So we're seeing everybody's beautiful wings. You know, they don't show you them in the cocoon. And so when you're in the cocoon, you're like, dang, I'm not a butterfly. Maybe I'm not good. But just keep wiggling. When it pop, you will be, you know, you will be ready when you're ready. Like, you can't like, oh, how come she only had to wiggle in her cocoon for 20 minutes or two days or three days, right? And everybody has a different thing. But their wings aren't yours. You might have even more beautiful wings, right? Javier, you mentioned the interview. He didn't start till his 40s, built a $100 million business. I know a lot of dudes, you know, I have a lot of buddies of mine, I'll, shall not be named, who, <laughs> who made a couple million bucks in their 20s or 30s. But then, you know, they spent it all or blew it all. And because they didn't have a really sustainable business, they're trying to figure out the next, you know, one trick pony for the next year and the next year. So you, you can't evaluate it based on a snapshot. You got to see the whole game. And so what I tell people on my team is we got to keep wiggling. You know, if you're in a tight spot, you're in a cocoon right now, but you have to have faith that those wings will develop if you just keep wiggling and stay in the cocoon. You know, you have two choices. One, you stay in the cocoon, stop wiggling and die, or keep wiggling, build the muscle and break through. Oh my and God, I, I love that. That is the best way to conceptualize it.
It's the best analogy ever. I love it. I talk about this with my clients and on this podcast all the time is that you 100% have to play the long game. I tell people I'm very, very open and honest. Like I lost like close to $80,000 in the first couple of years of my business and people are shocked and give up all the time. Like how many people do you say to you? Well, I'm still trying to make back that first thousand dollars I invested. And I'm like, whoa, what the fuck? You are going to stop right now. Like it's just mind blowing to me. It's like, if you continue to play the long game, if you continue to build those muscles, oh my God, you are going to have the success and it is going to be so much greater on the outside side rather than dying in the cocoon oh my god i i just yeah i'm I'm obsessed exactly and when i when i started i maxed out all my credit cards oh god yes i I maxed out all my credit cards um and i was scared and i was so scared but but i remember thinking to myself like like what if i don't do that it was more scary to to like i'd rather have been in debt thirty thousand dollars and have the pressure and bet on myself than have thirty thousand dollars in my savings or something at that time and just keep going the direction I was going. It was just so, I just felt so, you know, they say some people are so poor, they have nothing but money, mm-hmm. you know, and I wanted a fulfilling life. I wanted, I wanted, I wanted to wake up every day and pinch myself. It's funny. I was looking at my journals last night and I used to write down like that. I see myself living a surreal life where I get to pinch myself. You know, if I walk into a restaurant, I want to look around and feel like, man, nobody's doing something cooler than me, not from an egotistical place, but from a place of me. Like nothing would fulfill me more. You know, I wouldn't, you know, because before I would walk into places and this person's doing that and that person's doing this. And I'm like, shit, I like, I sell cars. <laughs> you know, it, it for me, for whatever reason, that it just didn't fulfill me. So I, I just remember thinking, like, man, like I wanna, I wanna do somewhere I wake up every day and I can't believe I get to be me. And it's funny because fast forward a couple of years, you know, I had forgot that I had articulated my dreams in that way. You know, you forget when you write down so much. And I look back at those pages and I could still see myself, you know, planning on how to like make like a te- my first 10K month, mm-hmm. right? Which, you know, we've blown past years ago, but like, I re- like you can see the development of your goals and like, and I, and I st- still see like water spots on the page from tears when I was trying to figure it out. And, you know, so it's, um, yeah, those, those, those experiences end up being some of the most fulfilling things ever. And plus, I've never met anybody you know, no risk, no reward. I've never met anybody that like didn't go in debt. I think they say the average millionaire has filed bankruptcy at least uh, once, you know. Well, I'm uh, lucky in- I haven't filed bankruptcy, but yeah. something that I think is so <laughs> cool that you and I both do, like when you just said right there that you believe like you walk into a restaurant and you're like, what, damn, there's no one doing cool cooler thing than I am. I truly say this all the time. I truly believe I have one of the greatest lives ever because I decide it and because I choose it. And I also write down in my journals every single day, I am happier, healthier, more patient than kind today than I was yesterday. And I am 100% living a blessed life by blessing others. And I have written that for so long before that even existed. And I, I want everyone listening today to hear, like, obviously, you know, there's a billion successful people on the planet, but you and I both have, have put on paper. And this is something that you talked about in our mastermind. You talked about speaking it out loud and putting it down on paper before it exists. And I am a massive fan of this, but you spoke about this in our mastermind. You want to talk a little bit about that because I'm obsessed with it. Absolutely. So when you think about you know, I'm a man of faith. I believe in God. And, Amen. and you know, when, when you think about, for example, scripture or prophecy, like God had to write it down for it to manifest and for people to learn about it. So 
God had to write things down for them to be spread, but you're going to achieve your goals by not writing them down. That, mm-hmm. that to me is like, doesn't make sense that you figured out a way to do it, streamline it easier than God. You found a shortcut that God couldn't figure out. You know, that to me doesn't make sense. You know, um, your husband, you mentioned is a contractor, you know, blueprints, you got to draw it down first. You got to write it down first. You know, clarity is power is, you know, uh, um, like you have to create it first. You know, I, I even tell people this, you know, people say, well, how do I start my show? Or I'm nervous or how do I, you know, and my mentor, I'll never forget Dave Thorpe, shout out Dave. You know, he, he recommended me like schedule a date and time, right? Like people say, I'm gonna start a pop. My first question, what's the date and time? What's the date and time? Draw the logo. When you draw the logo on paper, write it down. You know, I even have a photo actually, very interesting. I'll send it to you after the interview. Oh, cool. I have a photo in 2016, before I had a logo or anything, I wrote down the passionate few by Omar and I wrote down the prophecy. I said, you know, the passionate few is an inspiring video series. I see myself getting, you know, 1 million downloads or whatever it is, you know, we've blown past it. But at the time a million was like, Oh my God, that's like a million dollars. Like, you know, I, it sounded like so far away. It sounded like a billion dollars or something. And I just wrote down, I see myself inspiring millions of people. I see myself interviewing amazing people. I see Tony Robbins and me. I see that you're right. I wrote down this prophecy and I wrote it down so intensely and I would read it, and it was so weird, Christina, because, and I'll, it's actually on my Instagram. I had posted it. I wrote down a prophecy. R- write down your prophecy, like, r- like write it down. Write down the plan, and it's okay if it changes, but when you do it, you, it's like a script, right? A movie requires a script. A building requires a blueprint. Uh, a religion requires a Bible or a Quran or a Torah, right? Like you gotta write down the prophecy. You gotta write down the plan. A restaurant, they got it written on the menu. Right. Like, how are you going to manifest your entire life if the steps are not driven by concrete things that are written down? You got to work the plan plays in sports. Right. You write down the plan. Like, imagine, for example, if like like you you went to go work in a business where like there like there was no protocol, there was no training manual. You just got to talk it out loud and figure it out through talk. Right. It's not. And most people live their life that way. And I've made this mistake. I'm not coming from a high horse here. I didn't, it's not like I was a master. I learned through trial and error because I didn't used to write things down and my life didn't work. But yet when I started writing things down, it started happening fast. I see myself interviewing Grant Cardone. I see myself connecting with Tony Robbins. And, you know, fast forward, it would have blown me away to think that Tony would personally reach out to me, fly me out to date with Destiny, have me as a guest backstage, got to hang out with Tony. He acknowledged me for the good that I'm doing with the show and like sent me this personal voice memo that, is my cher- more most cherished gift to date mm. to think that, you know, I was once in my car smoking joints, you know, parked outside, like drinking. And just, I remember there would be times, Christina, where when I started the show, I'll just be praying to God, like, please, God, let this work. Please, God, I don't need millions of dollars. Just please just give me enough to like make it work. Please, God, please. And I wouldn't have enough money to fill up my gap. My first interview with Grant Cardone in Malibu in 20, I think it was early 2017. I didn't have enough money to put gas in my car to get to the interview. A buddy gave me a ride to go interview Grant Cardone. That's how much, you know, people say resourcefulness is the ultimate resource. I, I, I couldn't pay a production crew. I had to do like a net 30 to pay them in like 30 days for the invoice <laughs> for the video and like just called a real estate company to get them as a sponsor to like fund the video. I had no experience. I didn't know how to interview. I didn't know how to whatever, but I was so like pedal to the metal cocoon. And, you know, I was driven by the fact that my ex-girlfriend, she loved three things more than anything, right? She loved Grant Cardone. She had all his books by the bed and she was in sales. She's super into fitness. So she loved um, Quest Nutrition. 
and she loved hot Cheetos. Like, <laughs> yeah, like, sorry. So she loved hot Cheetos. So to me, like when she broke up with me, right? Cause she broke up with me. So I was all heartbroken. I'd use that pain and convert it into power. And fast forward a year, I ended up interviewing Grant Cardone, Tom Bilyeu, the creator of Quest Nutrition and the creator of Hot Cheetos. And every single one of them ended up being the most watched and downloaded interview in the world with all of them. Like boom, boom, boom. But again, it was pedal to the metal. I drove to the creator of Hot Cheetos speaking at several events. He turned me down several times. And the thir third time he was like, man, you don't give up. I said, no, sir. Consider me the young man you once were. He's like, all right. Gave me the interview. Grant Cardone. I stalked his Instagram store with him and Elena when they were in Beverly Hills. Drove two hours there. Waited outside of a restaurant for two hours, pitched him cold outside and told him. And he was like, you really drove all the way here just to ask me that? I was like, yeah. He was like, I like you, man. I'll have my assistant get in touch. We set up the interview. It was the most watched Grant Cardone interview in the world. And he's become a client of our company and we've helped them multiple times over. And then, you know, and then it snowballed. And then Tom Bilyeu, same thing. I ended up being, I think, one of the first people to interview Tom right before Impact Theory even launched. I was on set day one of Impact Theory. I still have Tom's number to this day. He's become a good mentor and friend. I asked him about business and taxes and all this stuff. Jordan Belfort from the Wolf of Wall Street would later interview me on his show. Like, you know, I'm not saying this stuff to impress you, I say, because it still blows me away. It impresses me that like, you know, as Tony says, I don't say this to impress you. I say it to impress upon you mm -hmm. what's possible if you write things down. And I wrote these things down. I wrote these names down. I see myself with Tom. I would imagine vividly Hi, I'm Tony Robbins. I'm one of the passionate people. Hi, I'm Grant Cardone. I'm one of the passionate. I would imagine them saying it over and over and over. So it's funny, like everybody else who watches the show, they now hear it, but you don't know that I've heard it 10,000 times in my mind before it ever freaking happened. Amen. You know, I decided that that's what it was going to be and kept wiggling. And there's been lots of challenges, but thanks be to God, you know, you, you write down the plan, stick with the plan. You know, it's yours. If you just don't give up. Oh, I love that so much. Is there a person that you have wanted to interview right now that you have yet to yeah. interview? Yeah. Okay. Go ahead. Uh, Tony you know where I'm going with this. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Tony Robbins, Howard Stern. I would love to interview Trump. Um, You've interviewed Tony Robbins though. Yeah. I've connected with Tony, but I want to do it like an in-person one at his house. Like I have, I'm okay. very like, I want it exactly like, for example, when I interviewed Grant and I interviewed Ed, like individually, I had this vision in my mind. It was kind of like a challenge. I'm like, I want to interview, it was in a meditation. I was like, I want to interview Grant and Ed with a view and cigars and wine. And I want to do, and Is I that literally- Ed's house that you did it? We did it at, uh, Grant rented this place for like 125 grand a week. Oh, okay. And uh, in Ed's Hollywood place Hills. looks pretty good, the view. Oh, Ed's, oh, Ed's place is unreal. I went there, it was the most badass house I've ever seen in my life. It's, I still- Think, and he has like a jacuzzi overlooking the ocean. I mean, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's where he does his interview. That's where I thought <laughs> yeah. that was. Okay, yeah, yeah. so I interrupted you. Tony Robbins, uh, yeah. Howard Stern, who else? Uh, President Clinton, President Obama, Oprah. God, there's so many, but those are like the titans, you know? Yeah. I would How love to interview Oprah. Yeah. Oh, that would be, that would be exceptional. How yeah. do you get yourself back on track when you have the doubts that we all have, the insecurities that we all have, like, Oh yeah. shit, is this going to end? Because we all have them. They all come in our mind. I know what I do. What do you do? I outsource my insecurities. <laughs> <laughs> I outsource my insecurities. Um, that's one thing I'm, I'm a huge proponent of. If I'm what not, does this mean? explain this to us. Yeah. I outsource my insecurities. So sometimes for example, I get like, I'm human, right? Like I, I get nervous when I'm, you know, like how, how the hell do you reach out to, you know, 
President Clinton's yeah, um, totally. team. You know, like I get nerves and oh my God, is this? So what do I do? I outsource it. I have somebody else do it who's not emotionally associated to it. You see what I'm saying? Because if I do it, then I'll get stuck in my head. And 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 sometimes it's not always the case, you know, like I, we tried to get Jim Carrey on, right? Because he's about personal development and mm-hmm. stuff. But I'm I'm very big on quick and perfect action. Like, so sometimes, you know, my team knows this, probably drives them a little bit nuts, but they love it too when it works because they get to, you know, participate in enjoying all these cool experiences is like uh, we were driving one time and someone was like, you know, we should interview Jim Carrey, you know, like no one's doing that. Like, I'm sure he'll be down, right? Even for Zoom, right? Maybe, you know, let's just shoot our shot. And so I was like, brilliant idea. So right away we Googled his agency. Okay, William Morris agency. Okay, who's his agent? We can't find his agent. Screw it. Let's just call William Morris agency. Ring, ring, ring. I'm nervous. Yeah. Literally 30 seconds ago, we came up with the idea and boom, we're already on the phone. Say hi, you know, hi, William's Morris agency. How can I help you? Hi, yeah, I was looking to see who uh, Mr. Carey's, uh, you know, voicemail would be or who the best point person would be for a press inquiry. They go, oh yeah, that's, you know, blank's name. And I said, okay, perfect. Are they in? And they're like, yeah, absolutely. They're in. So boom, within a minute of talking about Jim Carrey in a car, within a minute, I'm connecting to his his rep's phone number. You see what I'm Fast saying? Action. I and, love it. I do the same yeah, exact same yeah. thing. Because you cut through the bullshit. You cut through the, you know? And yeah. Because if I don't do that, what's what's the alternative? Oh, yeah, that would be cool. Let me think about it. I did the exact same thing to have Danica Patrick speak at my event. One time I got all the way to her agent like four times. I thought she was going to say yes. Then they finally said no. But like. A lot of people, I think that would stop you. I'm, I'm, I'm guaranteeing you. She's going to be on this podcast at some point in time. Like I guarantee you, like there's no chance in hell. Like, I don't care how long it takes. I play the long game. I'll fucking exactly. make it work and I'll figure out where the hell she is when there's she is a woman and I'll tell her, I'll be like, Oh, hi. Remember me? I've emailed you like four times. I've actually emailed you like probably 25. <laughs> I've talked to your agent yeah. three times on the phone. <laughs> yeah. And, and you know, what's funny about that is that like things change. So like, for example, one thing I do, and I mentioned this inside of my, my courses and, you know, my trainings that like, if we ever get a no, just be polite and elegant, you know, totally. even with our sales team and all that, we're not pushy at all. I don't believe no. in, you know, and that's what I love about Tony's. I don't know if you've had experience with Tony's sales reps. Mm-hmm. A lot of them are like really nice people that are like, you know, you're, you know, like to the point where you're like, like, okay, here, take my credit card. Take Wait, my, fight for me. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know, and, cause they're, you know, like they're, they're just helpful. They're like kind people. Like. And if you if you're just kind, like for example, this is one of my strategies. So quick tip, whether it's a prospect or whatever you, you're reaching out to or interview, you know, if you reach out and they say no, say okay, no problem. Thank you so much for getting back to me. Uh, is it okay if I circle back with you in a few weeks to see if um, you know time or scheduling permits, right, or a few months or whatever? And you'll be blown away at how many times if you're just polite like that, and they'll say yeah, sure, absolutely. And then when you message them again in a couple of weeks or a couple of months, which you know, we all know time flies. I mean, COVID's been going on with almost a year now, <laughs> right? Years, we're just, yeah. We're all just kind of like, you know, used to it now. I get you have your mask, you have your mask, I have my mask, you have your mask. Uh, you know, it's like that time will fly by anyway. So now when you circle back on the email thread or on the DM thread or the text thread, it's gonna show that you asked for permission to follow up. Mm-hmm. And they're gonna see that you were polite and kind. And so they're more likely to be like, Yeah, sure. Absolutely. You know, and, and by then you'll probably have more guests, you'll have more viewership, right? And so if you're looking at life as success or fail and it's black and white, you're going to emotionally drain yourself. You got to play the long game and go, okay, cool. If I don't get them now, I'll get them later. You know, Absolutely. And if you play that long game, it's only a matter of time. And I think the one thing that you and I probably do, and I encourage everyone listening to take an ear on is the fact that 
I will follow up and you do follow up. I think most people, once they hear a no, they're like, oh, it's never going to work. And they never follow up. I remember I had Jay Pappison, the author of the One Thing book, speak in my mastermind. Yeah, he's a great guy. But you know what? He told the mastermind, he said, the only reason I'm on this is Christina reached out in February. I told her to get with my agent. She got with my agent. Then when my agent said to email back in a month, she emailed back within a month. And then when she asked for the certain times, I gave her my times. She worked with my times, which were four months in the future. And I actually circled back and I've circled back for making sure the four months in advance worked. And he's like, most people are not willing to jump over a hurdle and you jumped over like 17. So that's why we're here today. (laughs) And we're still, and we still message back and forth still to this day. Like he's a great guy, but at the same time too, I think most people do not do the second, like even, and he even said, he said, most people would not have even sent the message to my assistant because they would have got lazy and stopped. Oh, he's never going to say yes. Anyway, I won't even message the assistant. Right. It's, it's true. And it's, it's kind of, you know, as a guy, you know, the same is true for, you know, when I was younger in my early twenties, you know, a lot of the guys, you know, you see a pretty girl, you'd be blown away at how many pretty girls don't get hit on because no guys have the guts to even hit on them. You know what I mean? And it's, you know, whatever it is. And what I don't mean being appropriate with the hit on them, I just mean, talk to them or just say, no, you can say that on mine. I'm, I'm totally all for it. I totally, yeah, agree. yeah. <laughs> well, you know, whatever it is, it's like, it, you know, and um, I, I actually, when I used to work for Rob at the fantasy factory, got to tour all over the country with Rob Dyrdek. Um, a lot of people may know him. He had the number one show on MTV. You know, he had three shows on MTV. Huge investor now. Yeah, yeah, huge. Yeah, he's got the Dyrdek machine. Uh, and so, Rob, I'll never forget it. My first day, I was kind of like his assistant. So the first day, I walk into his office, and he's like, hey, man, congrats, you made it. I was like, thanks, man. And he was like, I was so like, oh, my God, I can't believe I'm here, right? And he was like, um, you ready to take over the world? And I was like, yes, sir. He was like, you came to the right place. He goes, job number one, get me a Subway sandwich exactly how I order it. Yeah. <laughs> so he wrote down he wrote down his exact Subway order. I still remember it. And so that would be it. So I'd go to Subway and I'd go like take his order uh, and I'd come back. And then, you know, we'd eat or whatever. And I would just get so many little gems of wisdom. And he told me, you know why you're here? And I was like, why? And he was like, because you applied. Mm-hmm. You know, and he goes, most people would love to be in your position to be my assistant, not from an ego place, but he was like, yeah, most people would love to do this, but I guarantee you more people applied to McDonald's than the fantasy factory. Yeah. And he said, and, I, and he was like, you know why? I said, why? He said, cause they don't, most people don't believe they're worthy. Mm. Most people, that's my whole messaging is that you are worthy. That is the reason yeah. why I wake up every morning is for every human being to be confident and knowing their purpose and believe they are worthy to live a life that they absolutely freaking love. And the prereq to being worthy is being willing to run. You know, a lot yes. of people have opinions on, you know, the leadership in this country and leadership all over, but like a lot of people want to complain, but they don't want to do the work of getting an office. They want to hold up a sign and that's their political contribution on this planet. Don't get me wrong. I understand the value in that and do your thing. But it's probably not going to be as impactful as you going through the trenches that a lot of these people have to put themselves in positions to get elected, to put themselves in position to make decisions. No matter what, in any politics, one side's going to love you, one side's going to hate you. That's a fact. There's no politician throughout history that does something everybody agrees. Depends on the spectrum you're at or whatever it is. But it's like, you know, if you're just cognizant of that, you can realize like, man, like, you know, even when hiring people, you know, they don't necessarily hire the best human being on the planet possible to be the president of the United States or the best engineer for the company or the best thing. 
yeah, you, you can only hire the best of who applied. Mm-hmm. So if you're not applying, you're it's over. You you know, Les Brown has this thing where he says like most people don't write a book because they worry that it won't sell. Mm-hmm. That's not your job. Your job is not to sell the book. Write the book. Amen. You know, write the book. Do your part and trust the universe. If you do the subject, the universe will take care of the predicate. It's like the sports analogy. You miss all the shots you never take, right? It's exactly, yeah, exactly the same. I love what you said right there, how you picked up so many words of wisdom from Rob, you know, coming from a former professional athlete background, golf background, and then getting into the corporate side of golf. I was around, I, I promise you, one of the the number one keys to my success is I was always around people who were better than me. That's how I learned to play golf within three years, going from never touching a club to winning the first three tournaments I ever played to getting a scholarship. Like that was like how it happened in three years because I was playing with people who like were the best and I had never done it before. And then also in my corporate career, I have clients who are billionaires, millionaires all over the place. And I just, I wanted to be a sponge around them. I just wanted to like listen to everything that they had to say. And that's obviously one of the reasons why now in coaching, I'm so good at what I do is because I have such a vast background from those who I've been around. Like you were talking about, like pay it, like even like sitting and having lunch with Rob Deerdeck when you're what, what were you 20 years old? I mean, exactly. I was 20, yeah, yeah, I was 20, 20 years now. old. Oh my God. Like that life experience in itself, whether you were getting paid $15 an hour and going to get a sandwich that will fast forward your life quicker than anything else. Right. Like, absolutely. And, and and I learned so much from Rob in terms of like, man, like I, I, some stuff is like dark. I can't even share, but like (laughs) he would off record, I'll share it. I'll share tidbits. But like, he even told me like, like he'd be in meeting, like I would literally be in meetings where like MTV, like head executives would come in and I'd like seat them. And then Rob would ask me, like, how, how do they look? What's their energy? Are they chill? Are they look tan? How many people? Right. So Rob would gauge it. And based on that, Rob would do crazy things. Like there'd be like meeting. And, you know, and of course, I'm a fly on the wall. I don't say anything. I just take notes or whatever. Mm-hmm. But Rob would be in meetings. And like most executive meetings, you know, people sit at a table, talk about ideas. Rob would get up with all these professional executives, right? Like that are all sitting. Rob would have like a jacket, some DCs. Like, you know, it's the, Rob is exactly the same on the show as in real life. Exactly the same. Literally, I know people say that. He's exactly the same. Yeah, like yeah. literally the camera on or off. I don't know how he is. He's exactly like that all the time. And one thing I learned from Rob, he's, he doesn't schedule any meetings before one. I That's saw it, that like, actually. I've heard that yeah. from Chris Harder. Yeah, yeah. He doesn't schedule any meetings before one. And he has a lot of little rules that he abides by. And he only takes X amount of meetings a day. And so in a certain circle, right? Like he doesn't right. go outside a radius. Exactly. Yeah. And and also he only takes, it changed, it has changed, but he'll only take like four meetings a day. So he thinks of things in terms of like four chunks of time a day. And like, but most people don't do that, but you can take care of 20 chunks of things in a week. But most people juggle the 20 things in a week and only get like four done. Rob will like, he's very good at like compartmentalizing his madness, but also like, okay, like decisions have to be made by the end of the meeting. There's no like, okay, we'll talk about it and circle back tomorrow. No, no. We'll have a block of time. We can go wherever we want, but decisions will be made. They may not be perfect, but decisions will be made by the end of the meeting. But Rob would like get up in the middle of meetings and he'd like walk around the room and like pace. Like he'd take his hat and be like, what if we, like he, he would turn into a visionary. And so, so the executives, they, it, he would just put them in a trance because they're, he's not at a table like, well, you know, I think that based on the number and so they would like double their budgets or like triple their budgets or let him get away with like branding his businesses, like inside of the con, like he would just do so many things 
because he was able to be so energetically crazy that he can get away with things because he would tell me in like meetings with executive, like I'll even tell you a little thing. He would, um, he would make them wait sometimes. Like he would, he would um, intentionally so that they get a little nervous because believe it or not, even executives get nervous on the celebrity thing. That doesn't go away. Oh, totally. And he knew he had, he knew he had celebrities. So he would know how to, not from a, a bad place, but from a, like, for example, lunch the Lunchables came, team came in for like a negotiation at, for sponsorships. And so he would intentionally like make them wait a little bit, or he'd, there'd be like a waiting room where in the room he'd have photos with all these like world leaders so it would create this like thing. So by the time they walk in the pre-frame, right? So he would do a lot of little little nuances like that, that I just picked up and it, it was blown away. I mean, the guy, the guy is a creative, he's an energetic genius. And he will be the first to tell you, he's not necessarily book smart. He's not whatever. He's energetically smart and knows how to get the technically smart people around him. I love that. I love that so much. I think, I think it's so amazing how, you know, most people are just not willing to put themselves in that situation. So if you take one thing from this podcast today, which I'm sure you'll take a thousand because we gave so many tidbits of like finding your purpose, deciding it's your turn, like talking about like greatness, following your purpose and your passion and being willing to like basically eat shit for a really long period of time. Um, take that, like be around amazing human beings. Like that is one thing that I am just like, so grateful that I've able to do is like, just put myself in a very uncomfortable situations all the time where I'm like, well, I probably don't belong here, but who gives a shit because I'm going to walk away with it. <laughs> something completely different and like learn so much. I just want to be a sponge around awesome people. So last question before I let everyone kind of, before you tell everyone, obviously where they can find you, where they can like absorb every ounce that you've put out on YouTube and podcasts and all the things. The question I have for you is, is there a decision in your life that you have made that you were afraid to make that either turned out better than you thought, or it was a shit show, but you learned something from it? Yes, there's been a lot. I think hiring an assistant uh, was huge. Like there's, there's so many times in life and business and God, and, and like you, you try to anticipate the future, but it's, it, and this always happens. And, and I'm sure you can relate to this totally. where like, say you're stuck or there's like a, you know, there's like a, a bottleneck in some, some area of your business or your life. And you think like, Oh, maybe I should, I don't know, whatever, hire an assistant or like whatever, like little, you know, there's little things that like you just don't do because you think they're more complex than they are. And then you do them and you're like, Oh, that was easy. Like it's always Every business thing that will stop you is always a little easy thing that you're just not doing because you're emotionally burdening yourself with the assumption that it's way more complex than it is. But hiring an assistant, like believe it or not, was one of the things because I was so because I think I think at the time, like it was, I think it was like 20 bucks an hour or something. And I paid her full time. Mm-hmm. And this this was a while ago. Uh, and but that was scary to like do a couple thousand dollars a month. And I'd be like, oh, am I being lazy? I mean, I could do that. Right. Like playing oh, those God. emotionally I, guilt I, games. Yes. But hiring people uh, was scary because you're committing to give money. But but then I did that and it freed me up and we made like five times more in like the first three months. And I was like, oh, we're so limited by our assumptions. I think a lot of us emotionally have the bias that taking scary steps is not going to work. When in reality, most of the time it works. Like mm-hmm. not always, but most of the time. And if it doesn't work exactly, then something else will happen. Like say I hired an assistant and it didn't. My assistants, thanks be to God literally been graces from God. I really believe, I don't know how God has given me some of the most amazing people to help and support the mission. I think I personally believe it's because I believe I'm doing God's work. And so God mm-hmm. sent oh, I love that. people in, in, in the army to support his cause. But you know, like that was scary. That was a tough decision to invest 
thousands of dollars month after month and somebody to help me, but it ended up being great. But even if it didn't, and I've had many times where, you know, you know, I've invested in very expensive, you know, masterminds. Some have been phenomenally great. Some haven't, but the overall, you get something from the experience. You know, I know it sounds weird, but like in a worst case scenario, you learn how to not run a mastermind. If, yeah. if you join one that's not hot and if you join one that's amazing, like, Oh my God, now I can help my clients with this new wisdom. Or now I, you know, I've spent over, you know, six figures, multiple six figures over the last couple of years in investing in Tony Robbins and personal development and masterminds and coaching, you know, all this different stuff for me and my team. Uh, most of it's been amazing, but even the ones that haven't, there's always something I can get from it in some capacity in some way. So I think just the, the, the money, like not being afraid to, to like give money has been huge. And then also, and this may be kind of a separate on a weird energetic tangent, but even when I was broke, like my, my ex-girlfriend, she used to laugh, but she was cool about it. It's like, I, you know, when I was just starting and you know, I'd have, you know, maybe a thousand bucks, you know, yeah. as you're building a business, you go through tough times and I didn't have a lot. And I remember like, I wouldn't have much or I'd be overdrafting my credit cards, but I'd have some cash and I, I'd go to, you know, say I'm in a nice area or whatever, like for energy, like I'm in a nice place by the beach. I'll like find a janitor and I'll just give him like a hundred bucks. Mm. And, and by doing that, even though technically it's not responsible and blah, 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 the way they light up inspires me to be more of a blessing because it means the universe. Imagine, you know, I see people in their fifties and sixties and seventies sometimes at luxury upscale places and they're taking out the trash or doing all this stuff. And I respect them tremendously, but man, at that age, that's gotta be tough. So to be able to be a blessing and, and give them that. And, I, and I'm not saying this to like, boast i'm saying it because like it's really energetically lifted me and i encourage people to do that you know i even have games with myself where i try to compliment one stranger every day you know in a, in a meaningful way not in a bs hey ma'am i love your jacket hey ma'am i love your sweater you don't know how many people out there are suffering and so by making a decision to be a blessing even though you know because a lot of people say you know oh i'll give when i have but like tony says you know if you wouldn't give him a dime out of a dollar you're not going to give a hundred out of a thousand you're not going to give you know, a million out of 10 million, right? If you don't get what little you do have. So a decision to like be a blessing, it inspires me because I'll, I'll give it to the, the lady or man and, you know, or say they're selling flowers on the side of the road or whatever it is. And I bless them with the biggest bill, you know, on the planet, and, you know, I'll bless them with that. And they light up. Oh my God, thank you so much. And they start crying. And for me, what that did at that time was it, it would inspire me. I'd be like, man, like I want to be more of a blessing. Like I, I feel blessed to be a blessing and I, I would feel a divine connection. And so I know it's kind of a parallel of the same thing, but like giving of what you have, even if you're like scared to invest in yourself or scared to give to those in need because you've, and somehow it just always comes back. It just, it just, you know, it's the same door you give is the same door you receive through. So if you want to receive through a wider door, you got to give through a wider door. And so, you know, I think for me, those have been the decisions that have really shifted me change my life is, you know, not being afraid to give no matter the insecurities inside. And, you know, when you give, you truly receive, you know, it's, I, I truly believe, and I know that sounds generic. No, it I sounds a hundred percent the honest to God truth. I'm like shaking my head like, oh my God. Yes, yes, yes. I a hundred percent believe it. I oh, have just, one, yeah, one, please. One, one oh more my God. Thing. I'm so excited. When the, know, the I, guests I like, so tell, excited. keep talking. <laughs> with, with Rob Deardick, because a lot of people hear the stories that did work out, right? Yeah. You have to know that even though I've done all these amazing interviews and all that, I have hundreds, hundreds, way more no's, yeah. way more rejections, way more people that didn't respond to emails. I had way more sleepless nights. I had, I would cry in the shower. I would like, 
you have no idea the amount of shit I ate. And I would just pray and pray. And I just kept the faith, kept the faith. Please, God, please, God. Like, and I remember like, I'd be like, man, like, how am I spending money? I'm overdrafting my credit cards, trying to inspire people. And I can't afford, literally, I wouldn't have food or I wouldn't have gas to get to interview. And I was just like, please, God, please. God. And somehow or another, it just like, you know, I just kept wiggling in the cocoon. And by keeping the faith, God would allow blessings to show up. Like I just went to Vegas. My intuition told me to go to Vegas. And so if there's anything I've learned at this point is I don't question my intuition. So I go to Vegas. <laughs> I saw this photo. Yeah, exactly. I'm relaxing in Vegas. My my energy just said, go to Vegas and it'll take you to the next level. So it wasn't it wasn't literal. Like I didn't literally hear God's voice saying that, but I just energetically felt, and I don't gamble, I don't drink, I don't do drugs, I don't do any of that. I don't go to clubs. I don't do any of that. Just I love the energy of Vegas. I love the shows of Vegas, all that. So, you know, I, I go have a great time, relax. He smoked a cigar for the first time in a while. Probably not the healthiest, but just going <laughs> by the pool, you know, just, just soaked it in, wrote in my journal, just enjoyed, you know, had some great food, met some great people. And um, on the, on the, at the last second, right before I'm heading back to the airport, I'm waiting. And who's like right next to me? David Goggins, you I know? know? And, to, and I literally, I, and so I connect with Dave. We start talking and tell him about the show. He's like, yeah, I'll do the podcast. Gives me his personal email, his contact info. We connect. We're talking while I'm waiting for the Uber. I get in the Uber. And as I'm going back, I'm looking out the window and I'm looking at the sky. And I'm like, man, thank you, God. Because I know at this stage, like there's been so many things from the Tony Robbins thing to Wolf of Wall Street that like, I know, like at this point, I know it's not coincidence. I know it's not. Like, I know that in some way, God is like kind of all those prayers and late nights that I kept wiggling through the cocoon. God's like, all right, because you were patient, you know? And I firmly believe, I mean, how the hell do you run into David Goggins in Vegas at the last minute before an Uber after your intuition randomly told you to go to Vegas that you went to on a whim in the exact same location? And he had a mask, like we had masks on and he was like right there and he was free. Like it was so, it was just such a, like, and I've had that happen so many times in my life that I just know that there's someone else is coordinating it. I'm not the, you know, it's not me. I, I just, you know, I just placed my order and God delivered. And sometimes like the best entrees in restaurants, it takes a little longer to deliver than you like, but when it does, it's exactly what it's meant to be. Oh my gosh. I am so obsessed. I love it. I saw that photo and I, I love the story behind it. So now we yeah. know. And so for people to go see the photo, which is on your Instagram, tell us yeah. where we can connect with you. Tell us where we can find you all the things, work with you, all the things. And yeah. All Absolutely. Absolutely. First off, thank you so much, Christina, for you know having me on the show. And I, I respect what you do tremendously. And I'm happy to thank be involved you. with you and your audience. And I believe that people that invest the time, energy, money, and everything with you will will not only get what they want, but get much more than that. So so thank you for what you're doing in the world. And I mean that. Um, I haven't done a podcast in like two months. So the fact that I hopped on, I feel like Jay Papasan. I understand where he's coming from. <laughs> right? I love your- Persistent your, uh, and kind. Persistent and kind. <laughs> yes, with kindness and grace. So yes. But yeah, if people want to connect with me, they can find me on Instagram at Omar underscore the rock star at Omar underscore the rock star sure i can give you links you can plug it's in all the in the show notes for sure and the channel on youtube is the passionate few by omar and uh, just search the passionate few enjoy the interviews we have a bunch of teaching content out a bunch of stuff for free we also have paid programs and consulting if you guys are interested in that you can shoot me a dm and if you shoot me a dm at omar underscore the rock star as to what you want to learn or what questions you have we'll hook you up with a special uh, rate if you mentioned that you came through christina so 
you can do that as well. And one last gem, yeah. just for my intuition, tell me to share this, is a lot of people who are listening to this, I hope you guys got tremendous value and I'd love to hear it. And I know Christina would love to hear it, so please share it with her and like and subscribe and thumbs up so her stuff uh, can grow even more. I wanna share how I got to work with Rob is a parallel of how I've done a lot of things and how a lot of people have found momentum in what they're doing. When I first reached out, it was because I didn't know what I wanted to do. I was sort of stuck in my life. And so in college, when I was like 20, 21, I wrote down a list of all the places I wanted to work. And it was a list of like 50 places and they were all skateboard companies. I grew up as a skateboarder. It's my passion in life. It's my first love. I still do it to this day. I still love it. And I will do it for many years to come, God willing. But I wrote down all these skate companies and I applied to about half of them. And the next couple of days, I only got emails back from like two or three of them. And I got one interview with a skateboard company. And when I went to interview for the skate company, I didn't get the job, but watch how, right? Watch how you can interact with failure and make a decision to hold your, your energetic space and not let failure define you and how it opens up opportunity, right? Watch this last gem. So I do the interview. His name is Andrew Shusterman and he changed my life because I didn't get the job and he emailed me back. Hey, Omar, thank you for coming. Unfortunately, we decided to go with somebody else, but thank you so much for your time. And at the time, I had just gone into Zen Buddhism. And, um, you know, I don't consider myself a Buddhist, but I adhere by a lot of Buddhist uh, philosophies and theologies. And Buddhism, by the way, is not a religion. It is a theology. So you can be practice those things no matter what religion you are. Just a little caveat. But I had responded saying, you know, thank you so much, Andrew, for letting me know and communicating. And I'm so happy that you guys found the right person for the job. Thank you so much for, you know, communicating, getting back to me. And please let me know what I could do to like, you know, get better. And I'm happy to even intern for free or give out ideas to help support. It was like for a marketing position. Uh, totally free just to show my value. If anything opens up in the future, keep me in mind. This was my response to the rejection, right? So watch this. Andrew wrote me back this email saying, wow, uh, thank you so much for being mature about it. I've never heard somebody respond so positively to a message. You know what, man? I think I have a cool opportunity for you. I'll circle back soon. And I said, wow, Andrew, thank you so much. And I thought nothing of it. Two weeks went by and I get an email from Rob Deardick at the Fantasy Factory's team. said, hey, Omar, we heard you were looking for a marketing position to help out. And Andrew spoke very highly of you. Would you be free to come for an interview? I went for an Damn. interview, nailed the interview. And for the next year and a half, got to work with Rob, got to travel all over the country, all expenses paid, got to go to Nike headquarters, hang out with the top professional skateboarders in the world, go on tour. And that began my journey of seeing what was possible, all because of how I made a decision to respond positively to a rejection. Imagine if when he said you didn't get the job, I didn't reply. There would be no Rob. There would be no traveling. My mind wouldn't have expanded to know how to talk to high-level people. There would be no show. There would be no podcast. There would be no money. There would be no six-figure months that blew me. There would be no, you know, the, the trickle of all that started because in the face of a rejection and when I had nothing, I made a decision to respond positively and that changed the whole trajectory. So no matter what happens in the universe, remember life is more about how you respond than, than what you did. It's like ping pong, right? Like you can't control how they hit, but you can control how you hit back. So I just wanted to share that last gem because I know people listening you know, may have had success or maybe had a bottleneck, but just remember it's how you respond to that, that opens things up down the road and it will always be better later than sooner. So if you feel like it's not happening or whatever, trust me, it's because it's, it, it's going to be even sweeter down the road.
Oh my God. This was so good. You guys, please share this because Omar, I don't know how in the world you would possibly know me over Omar, but if you do, please share this because everyone and their mother needs to hear this. And I'm so grateful for you. I'm so grateful that we connected. I'm so grateful that my husband played that podcast and then I became obsessed and I'm grateful for your graciousness to be able to join us on this podcast today. So thank, thank you so much. Christina. I loved it. for being one of the passionate it. few. And I, Look forward to doing a Zoom with you as well that people can check out. I love what you're doing. I believe in what you're doing. I've met your community. I met the people, the clients you work with, and um, they're amazing people. And I think they're a reflection of the people leading them. So again, I want to honor you and thank you. And I, I don't take this lightly. So thank you for helping support my mission. And thank you for being one of the passionate few. Same, same. <laughs> thank you. I appreciate it. Y'all know I am absolutely obsessed with helping you live more confidently in your purpose, making a profit, and truly enjoying your life. You guys, this is exactly why I created my course, Commanding Your Worth. You guys, this course will help you gain confidence, gain clarity, rewrite the stories that you've been telling yourself for much too long that are keeping you stuck. You guys, you can get this course for just $99 at commandingyourworth.com. Thank you all so much for joining me on today's episode of the Decide It's Your Turn podcast. If today's episode resonated with you at all, please share it with a friend. Also, head on over to iTunes. Leave us a five-star review and a comment. What is it that you want us to talk about that will help you realize that at any moment and any day, you too can decide it's your turn. I'm Christina LeCure. I'll see you next time.